It's Monday, December 7th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Stock Advisor Canada, Taylor Muckerman. Happy Monday, my friend. You too. I fir- I think it, ju- it just continues to be a happy Monday if you're a Carolina Panthers fan. All around the Carolinas, people <laughs> are rejoicing. They're singing. They're singing the fight song instead of instead of Christmas carols. Right exactly. Now. As, as you've already locked up <laughs> a playoff spot with what? What do we have? Five games to go? Four games to go? Four games left. We had it before we won yesterday. Apparently. So very yeah, nice. New Orleans yeah. made us work for it, though. <laughs> we are going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the state of the price of oil, which is uh, well, it's an interesting place right now. But let's start with. A little something from the news fairy this morning. <laughs> Curry Green Mountain is being taken private by JAB Holding Company, which is a consumer products conglomerate based in Luxembourg. And I don't know about you, Taylor, but I was as surprising as it was to see someone taking Curry Green Mountain private, because mm-hmm. keep in mind, Coca Cola's got a 17% stake yes. in this company. Even more surprising, was the buyout price. This is a stock that closed on Friday at $51 a share, and the buyout price from JAB Holding Company is $92. What? Why are they bidding that much? <laughs> it's a good it's a really good question because this has this stock has been the brunt of a lot of jokes over the past few years. It, it's not performed well. Even with this 80% premium, Coca-Cola shares are still down around 20% since they made that 16 or 17% acquisition last May, I think it was. So, shares haven't been doing all that great, but looking at what JAB has been doing over the past year or so, They've really just been trying to compete with Nestle for the in-home coffee market. Nestle has the the global Nespresso machine that you have a lot of people have on their counter. So the little pods, uh, direct competition. They also own some small coffee roasters, uh, Stumptown and uh, Intelligentsia. I've heard of Stumptown, but apparently those are like for coffee aficionados, like the high-priced coffee beans. But then they own some steaks and uh, Einstein bagels and Caribou coffee, and fully own Pete's Coffee. So. Um, I think they're trying to come at Nestle here, and and maybe it's a bit of a rivalry that kind of is, kind of helps spike that premium because I can't remember a premium of eighty percent for a company struggling this badly on a buyout. It really is surprising, and I'm wondering if they looked at some of the M and A activity we've seen in 2015, and I'm thinking primarily of the beer merger mm-hmm. where uh, Anheuser Busch. Made what was it four runs at SAB Miller? Yeah, before, try try again before before they succeed, finally yeah. got to an agreement. And maybe they just thought, you know what, it's worth it for us to come in with a Godfather offer mm-hmm. just to make sure that not only Curry Green Mountain is on board, but Coca Cola with their seventeen percent stake says yeah. automatically, yes, okay, we'll agree to this. That's a good point because what if Coca Cola just decided, you know what, we could do this ourselves. Why don't we just pay? A forty percent premium. So then, I don't think that they would have done that. Clearly, they weren't willing to pay eighty percent. They were just willing to take the the eighty percent bump in shares and run. But that they did say that they're they're going to be working with JAB Holdings going forward because they still believe in the Keurig platform and what Green Mountain Coffee Roasters had been doing. So I think maybe with the the combined brain power of this coffee specialist with Coca Cola. Maybe you see the, this private deal drive more value for Coca-Cola, what they originally might have expected back in May of 2014. It's a pretty surprising 
and by that I mean surprisingly bad year that we've seen. Just you look over the last twelve months, mm-hmm. December twenty fourteen, the big thing Kerr Green Mountain was dealing with was the recall of their two machine because they had a bunch of incidents where it was spraying people with <laughs> with hot dangerously liquid. hot water. Yeah, we also and. Maybe that's why we saw a big short interest. By the way, this is this is a great example of one of the main reasons that I have no interest in shorting stocks because this is a company that had a big short interest, mm-hmm. and there was no real indication that anyone was on the hunt to buy this company. And if I you're, certainly had if, if you're someone who's in the business of shorting stocks, and you look at Kerr Green Mountain and think, "Oh yeah, I think this thing's going to fall even further." You're taking a bath today. Yeah, I saw in Capital IQ. I don't know if it was updated this morning or if it was from Friday's numbers, but at 10:30 this morning, Capital IQ said about 10% of shares were sold short. So, <laughs> uh, and right now they're not even having. I mean, they're selling to cover, but that's not why the stock is up. The stock is up because of the premium. So, I mean. The selling might even drive it beyond the premium because they really have to get out of this, especially if there's margin involved. I want to come back to mergers and acquisitions in a second, but okay. let's let's start with the news uh, out of OPEC. The latest meeting at, uh, of OPEC has ended with seemingly no agreements whatsoever in place regarding production levels, and as a result, the price of Brent crude is falling today to its lowest point in almost seven years. It's shocking. Um, a seven-hour meeting driving oil back to where it was around the recession, and um, yeah, they they just can't get together. It's like a bad family holiday with extended family. They get <laughs> in the room and there's just nothing being decided upon. Um, they even had a special meeting the day before that Venezuela called because uh, if you're following oil markets, you know Venezuela has been really hurt because of these low oil prices. They've been calling for a pullback in production to try and drive prices higher since their initial meeting. Uh, last November, so um, nothing, nothing agreed upon. Basically, what they were discussing was uncertainty with Iran coming back on board because the shang- sanctions were lifted. So that's going to slowly start to take place early in 2016, and they just figured, hey, we'll wait till next June, see how things play out. Uh, there was some chatter from Saudi Arabia though that kind of gave people maybe a glimmer of hope because they have changed their tune a little bit in terms of production. They say that if Iraq, if Russia, who's not an OPEC member, agree to kind of pull back on production, we will too, but they're not going to do it by themselves because they're still after maintaining market share. So um, that it, sounds like more ifs than you want to include. It weighed, in any which is why the market investment is, thesis. Yes. And I, I think energy stocks are showing that uncertainty and, and the disagreement with it in the market because I think last I saw the sector was off three and a half, three and three quarters percent. Just today, so big, big moves to the downside on some very big names. Just to stick with that point for one second, whether it's oil and gas, consumer goods, restaurants, biotechnology, if you're looking at buying shares of a company, and the word "if" appears more than once in your <laughs> thesis, then you need to rethink your thesis. Yeah, seriously, it's one thing that. to look at a company and say, "Oh, as we as we've talked about in the past years ago with Chesapeake Energy." Mm-hmm. If someone other than Aubrey McClendon runs this company, this is probably a company worth owning. That's yep. just one if. If and you're adding in several, then you got a problem. And that company still has some ifs. They, yeah. they seem to have uh, maybe had some good news last week, but this, the shares have just been tanking much more so than the overall energy sector as a whole. 
Why do you think there has not been more mergers and acquisitions in the oil industry this year? Because if you go back 12 months, mm-hmm. there were a couple of predictions getting a lot of play when it comes to oil and gas and energy in general. And one was, well, in 2015, given how much the price of oil has dropped over the last couple of months, in 2015, you had, you had a bunch of people saying, oh, this is going to bounce back up. Price of oil is going to go back up. You also had, I would argue, even more people saying, well, you know what? Based on the price of oil dropping like it has, you know what we're going to see a lot of yeah. in 2015? A lot of mergers and acquisitions. We've had some. I don't think we've had as many as people were expecting. Yeah, I don't think so either. You've had the the two big in the service industry with Schlumberger acquiring Cameron and eventually maybe Halliburton finalizing this Baker Hughes deal, which I have seen people saying it's increasingly more likely over the last several weeks. But um, yeah, there's no no big splashes other than Shell taking over BG, and that deal was under a lot of fire from investors. So, um, do you think that's because that? Because I'm sure people have been looking, people within the industry have been looking, particularly the bigger companies with deeper pocket. But do you think it's because maybe the smaller players are just a little bit better with their books than they have been in the past? Because we have seen that in the past, where price of oil comes down, and then the Chevrons and Exxon Mobiles and the behemoths of the world mm-hmm. just go out and start snapping up the smaller players. Yeah, and they're also getting much more efficient at operating. So, maybe these big players are thinking, hey, maybe a lot of the, the margin expansion has, has evaporated. If we buy this company, margins start to stagnate. You know, what are we gonna, How are we going to explain that away? But at the same time, I think that big companies would have a lot to learn from uh, a company like Devon Energy or EOG. Um, not to say that those are uh, acquisition targets by any means, but if if they were, those those big names could share a lot of information because they've driven costs down considerably and they continue to do so. I personally wonder how much further margins can be sustained as far as the growth there because they've done a great job in the downturn, protecting the 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 margin even with low oil prices. But I don't know if there's a whole heck of a lot more room to go personally. When is the next OPEC meeting? They say it's June of next year, so it's it's a semi-annual meeting. Uh, June of next year, they can call special meetings. Venezuela's tried a couple times in 2015 to no to no success, but um, so June at the very latest. So, analysts looking at this industry and saying saying prior to this meeting, boy, if OPEC agrees to cut production by just a little bit, mm-hmm. we're going to see a spike in oil prices, which seems to make sense. Yeah. Now we're barring a special meeting. We're at least six months away from that kind of thing happening. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I guess an individual country, so they've got a little bit of freedom. So if Saudi Arabia did decide to make a big splash and say we'll pull back, or um, Iraq or Iran, Iraq right now is producing at record levels. Russia is producing at record levels. So if one of those three countries independently decides to pull back, or if the, that cohort finally does get together and decide, hey, as as individual countries, we're going to slow our roll a little bit, or if there's any disruptions in Iran, you could see that spike. But it's been interesting over the last few weeks with uh, everything taking place with Paris and ISIS. Years ago, the oil would have spiked considerably on those uh, big news items, uh, and it's just continued its slide. And, and we're talking about the heart of oil country in the Middle East, and, and ISIS controlling a lot of Iraqi oil fields. And it's it's just drawn no 
attention from oil prices, which is kind of surprising to me. You can follow us on Twitter, at MarketFoolery is our Twitter handle. You can also email us, marketfoolery at fool.com is our email address. Question from Christian Kelly, who writes, I know Kinder Morgan is really volatile right now, but is it still a worthwhile company to invest in? It looks cheap, but I don't know. Uh, and, and this question came in a couple of days ago. Kinder Morgan's even cheaper today. It's down about 7% yeah. today. Uh, one analyst out there saying the best way for them to fund CapEx is cutting their dividend. And yeah, it seems like that's kind of priced in a little bit, not completely cutting it um, down to zero. But right now, I think it's yielding about 12%, which is astronomically high for this company. Right. Um, it's, I think the shares are at an all-time low, or right around near an all-time low. And a lot of uncertainty around the dividend. Um, Moody's downgraded its outlook from stable to negative uh, because of they upped their acquisition uh, to 50% of Natural Gas Pipeline Company of America, which is a very debt-laden company with Brookfield and Infrastructure uh, Partners. Um, and so, Moody's thinking in the future they're going to need to somehow recapitalize that company. And, and right now, if they take on any more debt, they'll be dropped to junk bond status. Um, it's a level that they've never been at. And so, I think that this company is ahead of the game long term. In December of last year, they bought themselves which I th- out of an MLP structure, which I think was a wise move with looming higher interest rates because they thrive on debt to, to grow as an MLP. So, they're no longer uh, as exposed to higher interest rates, but they still are very debt heavy. So, I think that if you're a long term investor, this is a company that you might never see at this price again. It could still fall a little bit lower just because of oil prices, but uh, long term, their their assets just. I'm personally been considering over the last week or so. It's a recommendation in pro pro Canada, um, and and multiple U.S. services as well. So it's a company that a lot of fools believe in, and uh, it's it looks like an incredible bargain today. You, you might still see a dividend cut. So if you invest today. Maybe share sell off on that news, but long term, that could be a great thing for this company. Well, and it's a great point because it does make sense when you, if if you are able to set aside any emotion, any passion, and you just lay out the numbers. Yes, cutting the dividend to fund capex yeah. that makes sense. But to your point, I would happily bet a dozen donuts that. <laughs> If they announce they're going to cut their dividend down to a penny, which is what this one analyst is suggesting, that there will absolutely be a sell-off because yeah. it's it's never a good thing, right? It's, it is. I mean, it may be a good thing in the long run, but it is, I would say, across the board taken as a red flag when com- any company comes out and says, "Oh, by the way, we're cutting our dividend." And this isn't a speculative dividend payer. This was a stalwart dividend player in the energy sector. Um, they grew it at ten percent this year, which or around ten to fourteen percent, which was lower than they had projected. They lowered their guidance down to six to ten percent dividend growth. Um, but a lot of analysts say that that is extremely unlikely. Flat flat dividend is the best possible scenario because they're not going to issue equity to to fund. Uh, any more growth because the shares are so low, they can't necessarily use debt because they'll lose their investment grade rating. Um, so, cutting the dividend would be the only excess source of capital outside of their cash flows, which look like a break even for a 2016 dividend payment. Be interesting to see. Yes, indeed. What they actually do with it. In keeping with what we started last week, in 
our efforts to provide just a little bit more choice for anyone interested in holiday music. Today, it's a little something to celebrate Hanukkah, which last night was the first night of Hanukkah. So, uh, today's song, courtesy of our friends to the north, Bare Naked Ladies. <laughs> Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Every evening, one by one, until the end of Hanukkah, of Hanukkah, with the jingle bells and the toys and the TV shows and the noise. It's easy to forget. Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav itzivanu Mahalik ne'er shel Hanukkah We light the candles for Okay.